Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lay Film. I'm your co-host, Richard Lee, and here with me today... Tyler Ken- is Tyler Cunningham. Patrick. Kevin. And we are four film grads that come together each week to discuss gems of the cinematic industry. And in this week's episode, we're actually reviewing the 2014 film A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Now, this movie is actually the first Persian language film that we are actually going to review. Although it is Persian language, it is actually an American film from director Anna Lily Amarpour. This is a film that is about an Iranian ghost town, Bad City, a place that reeks of death and loneliness, and the townspeople are unaware they are being stalked by a lonesome vampire. Kevin, you actually picked this film. Um, I believe you picked it because, well, it is uh, Halloween season. And, um, yeah, so what is your initial reaction to it, and why did you pick it for this season? I picked it for this season because I thought it would be very fitting to have one that fits, not only A, fits the season, but also doesn't play into a lot of the conventional aesthetics of horror movies. And um, I first saw this movie back in 2015, I want to say, a year after it was released. And I remember seeing images and hearing about it during its uh, initial production. And I was very excited about it because this was before I went back to school for filmmaking. And... Just seeing everything about this movie, it sparked like my interest in what it felt like to see a movie that is just completely and uniquely its own thing. Although it does have a ton of influences that can be read into um, on the surface as well as deep below, I think that in execution this movie stands on its own as being one of the coolest movies ever made in the past 10 years. And the fact that it's made by an Iranian film, uh, female director and also shot in like California and just being able to blend all of these 
styles of horror filmmaking, like German Expressionism, like with uh, Nosferatu and uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and uh, Hexon and all these movies from like the 20s and then also having it fused in with with movies from like the 80s with <laughs> with um like gothic romanticism and also like suburban punk i think that that was one of my favorite things that i saw about it cuz you see the girl riding her longboard and shot in like stark black and white and then you have the spaghetti western music playing in the background and everything about this movie just checked off how, like how to make myself fall in love with a movie before I even see it. And during the second viewing, I it was like I got to watch it again for the first time because now I feel like I know a lot more about um, my own personal taste in, in film and also what I appreciate and what I yearn for in filmmaking. It's so inspirational and everything about this movie really, really sparked up a lot of interest and appreciation for for filmmaking in general. So that's that's why I picked this movie. Um, yeah, this is one of my favorites we've done for sure. That was a great pick. Uh, the I just think this is like one of the most unique movies I've ever seen. Like it has literally, I think everything. Like they just went for like whatever. They're like. <laughs> I just love that there's like a skateboarding vampire that is preying on these people, these bad people in in bad city. Um, but yeah, like everything, like the cinematography was was so clean and just like gorgeous. Like there's like screensaver after screensaver, like poster. I could put any so many different shots from this film like on my wall. Um, and then the soundtrack, one of the best soundtracks I think for a film that we've done yet, for sure. Um, and the two main characters, uh, Arash and just the girl, I think they both had a great, great uh, performance and chemistry with each other as well. Yeah, like what you said about the, uh, the blending of everything and it comes to f its own voice and its own thing. In the end, it's just, I have a deep admiration for the director and just everything about this film in particular, how, like, was this one, this was crowdsourced? Mm -hmm. Just that alone is such a, like, this is an early crowdsourced film, and it it just does everything. It, it breaks traditions, and so, not in so many ways, but because there's a lot of influences where it follow, it's following in those steps, pastiches here and there. But it's just, it's still its own thing, so hardlined, and I think that has to do with her being the writer as well. Like, I... I loved everything about it you mentioned, and then I even loved the narrative, like, deeply. I had a deep admiration for the narrative where it does its own thing. It's been done before, something similar has been done before, I'm sure, but it just, it just feels so unique to this film. I just loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, like, how there's, I mean, it's like the argument that a lot of people can make where there's only, like, an X amount of stories that can exist in the world. It's like, it doesn't matter because it's like each person who tells it tells their own perspective on it. And it's like how it's executed and the influences that go into it. So, yeah, you saying that just like really drives that point home. Yeah. Like right away because of this, 
the vampire aspect i'm drawn to like let the right one in yes yes like, oh there's like a parallel between those two but they're still completely different movies com- like almost inverse environments like the uh where's the let the right one in it's it's, it's like somewhere in um in like uh in like scan like in the scandinavian region yeah yeah like always snowy always frozen and then the inverse it's the film's filmed in california but it's supposed to be in iran and it's just yeah desert oil wells and just there's so many messages in the film and parallels to be drawn, but it's not. No one says it explicitly. No one, yeah, like the like the vampirism and the oil wells. No one's, no one in the line says that, which would be really like, oh come on. <laughs> but they show you it, and you're allowed to sit there and go, oh, I'm so smart. I thought of the connection. I'm great. And then I just love the film for that. I love films that make me feel smart. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, this film is a fantastic blend of genres um i read on an article uh wired.com where um they talked about how um the director um amapur she was influenced by not just uh german expressionism or um spaghetti westerns but even from comic book films so she was also influenced from like robert rodriguez's sin city so with that whole vibe of, you know, the black and white, but even the cinematography from, from Lyle Vincent, she worked really well with him to capture, you know, the shadows and like just using incredible visuals instead of uh, using the dialogue to tuck down to you or to tell you what type of movie it is, you know. And you know, I'm sure it would be a surprise to a lot of people that when they look this up, they're like, what? This is a Iranian Western vampire movie? I mean, but it is. Um, yeah, and that's what's very unique and radical about this movie is that there isn't anything like it. Um, even though it comes off as uh, an international film, and it's really not. Um, yeah, everything you guys are saying was on point. Even, you know, the soundtrack, when we first see the... Um, where the girl lives, and then you start having that electronic pop music play, oh, and I'm that like, song is incredible. Yeah, and I'm like, I want to listen to this song, and this <laughs> think, reminds me of Desire. I think it's called <laughs> Dancing Girls by Farah. Okay, yeah, it's a okay. I'm gonna mark that down. Um, yeah, the music is great. Um, even uh, Arash as the Iranian James Dean mm. was really charismatic and smooth and. Um, even though he's a bad character, it's just like everyone else in the movie, you know, like no one's pure good heart, you know, um, his father, um, played by Mozan Marno, I thought he did a really good job. I think he was in like a few episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. If I'm not, if I'm wrong, someone correct me, <laughs> but I, I think it's good to see like, yeah, really good performance from a character who is despicable, but, like, you can you can feel sorry for him. Even though I don't really like, you know, where his story went. Um, I like that performance in particular. Um, Sheila Van as the girl, did an amazing job. I believe she was also in Argo. Um, yeah, like, I just like that there are a lot of unknowns in this film. Um, but it goes to show that there is talent in Hollywood and that you could make a diverse movie like this one, you know, without having to succumb to, like, the Hollywood studio system. 
where they always claim, oh, we're going to get the best actors, you know, to get the most authentic story. But this seems incredibly authentic to me, and you don't really get that a lot. So, yeah. I want to... I want to touch on the... uh... Is this an Iranian film or is it an American film? Because it's such a... I, I think it's an Iranian film because yeah. I, I get that. And I get where you're coming from because even just like learning about her background and stuff, about how she did have to, I mean, how she was born in like England and then eventually like moved to Florida and then moved to Bakersfield, California. I, I feel like... At its heart, it's supposed to be an Iranian movie, mm-hmm. but it's been like the the floodgates are just wide open when it comes to American influence, yes. especially in terms of music, uh, filmmaking, uh, like all the principles that go behind it. But I feel like at its heart, the culture of Iran is infused and bled throughout this entire thing. But I'm interested to hear what everyone else has to say. Yeah, that, I think that was where my my angle, my approach was so convoluted. Because the first time I, when I watched this, I didn't look up where it was filmed. I thought I was just like, "Oh, they filmed this in Iran." That's what I thought too. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, this is <laughs> yeah. so impressive." Because like, I, they're a theocracy and all the other stuff, and they have certain restrictions on what's allowed to be done by who. And so I was like surprised. I don't know if I was surprised because I'm still pretty ignorant about what's allowed to happen happen there. But I'm like vaguely aware of their underground movements like the uh there's a rock underground movement i want to say there's the lgbt underground movement there's even like a punk old school underground movement there's all these and skateboarding as well i want to say because there's like it just feels like there's so many themes not explicitly touched upon but like when you say like the music's like an american it's american influences i still interpreted that as like oh i bet but there's still like iranian underground music and i want to say at the end and there's still like there's like a hodgepodge of like Iran is a unique country in the geopolitical sense, but the cultural and stuff like the American stuff still makes it there, and it's still it's all this it's just such an interesting thing where it's I yeah I was sitting there like there's a great montage there's a great scene of the woman with the balloon, and while I'm watching that oh this must be a commentary about the LGBT movement in Iran, and that's why I interpret it more as an Iranian film than an American film. Mm-hmm. But then, like you said, it was filmed in California, so it's hard to distinct. It's like, it's one of those things where it feels like there's not a concrete rule of like, oh yeah, this one plus one equals two, this film was made in America, so it's an American film, versus there's no like equation that just solve it and get the definitive answer. Maybe it's up to our own interpretation, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, you need to to constitute something being American or Iranian. It has to be made in that country. Um, because like you guys said, watching it, when I was watching it, I thought it was filmed in Iran. And then after finding out <clears throat> that it was filmed in California, I still feel like it's an Iranian film because even every, like it just does, it. I feel like they, it has all these American influences, but throughout the film, like, you feel like it's in Iran. Like you see his license plate, just like the setting of the city and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't think it matters though where it's where where it's uh, made. 
Yeah, I think I, I agree with everyone. I think it is an Iranian film, but I'm sure if Anna Lily Amarpour had it her way, she would just say it's it's a vampire film. You know, it's a vampire gothic romantic film. It's you know amalgamation of all these influences. You know, um, yeah, it's like oh yeah, it's a it's a spaghetti western. It's a horror movie. It's whatever. You know, it's all these things. It's really hard to say. Otherwise, it would be a huge <laughs> label on the film. You'd yeah. be calling it American, Iranian, German expressionistic influenced vampire horror romantic. It would be a long <laughs> label that we would just put on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's heavily, it's heavily influenced from her own culture. So it's up to her to say what film it is. And it's heavily promoted as the first and only Iranian vampire film. So that's what it is. So, yeah, you bring up such a good, I did, I read one interview with her and she seems like such an endearing director where I think you're, you're completely correct. Like, the specifics don't actually matter. The fact is it's her film and it's really good and I have a deep admiration for it and her as well. Yeah. I, I think um, one thing that you brought up, Pat, that I that has just got me thinking here in the background a lot is, I mean, especially given the current state of the geopolitical climate in Iran and, and that entire middle, middle Eastern section, a movie like this could never get made there. Um, I mean, potentially, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it makes me wonder about all of the other countries that have a lot of censorship where you, like, for instance, um, like any other country that doesn't have, I mean, that we don't see a lot of movies come from, um, and I, part of me wonders how that affects artists in those countries. For instance, I know when, um, like, Andrei Tarkovsky was, like, exiled from, like, Russia, he had to move to Italy, and it had, like, a huge impact on his filmmaking um, towards, like, the latter part of his career. And, I mean, he was lucky because, like, he, he got, like, so much funding from the government to create all of his earlier movies and create, like, a... Um, a ladder for success, but I'd imagine for a lot of struggling like indie artists in countries that have a lot of suppression in the media, it must be very hard to make something that feels authentic and free of um, influence. And I feel like even just seeing this movie and not even thinking about like the uh, the climate and stuff, given the the, the quote unquote setting of this movie. I found it to be so immersive in just its tone and its direction. And I don't know, it felt so free from influence, even though it was influenced by so many different things. Like it reminds me of um, Tarantino's work, except not Tarantino, which is why I love it so much. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. Even, even according to the articles that I read uh, from Wired. Yeah. She was influenced by Tarantino. Really? That's she was so influenced cool. By like, uh, well, it gave inklings of like Jim Jarm. Charmouche. Oh yeah, Jim Jarm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and like uh, and David Lynch and all these filmmakers. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is she. I'm pretty sure she is influenced by Tarantino for sure. Yeah, like you can just tell that she is a cinephile and she like loves movies and it feels so cool to watch a movie by someone who adores movies as much as like I'm sure that we all do. Especially because like you know we all have a deep admiration for for this medium, which is why we come together to like do a podcast on this type of stuff. 
and yeah. <laughs> there's a bit of the behind the veil thing too, with like what Tyler said about like there's so many shots where it's like you can picture being on the set with her or just you've had those experiences at some level where like when you get a really good shot and you're just sitting there like, Oh my god. You're so <laughs> excited and she just crammed as many as she could into the film and when you're as students like us or filmmakers when we're sitting there watching it, I think you get a bit of that feeling yourself. Like, oh man, they must have loved like when they looked at the camera as it was filming this and got like, oh, this is so nice. Mm -hmm. There's so many, yeah, pristine shots. It's just, it's another like aspect of the film that's also so endearing about the whole admiration for the craft. Yeah, I think this movie was shot in like 24 days, but just going back to like what you're saying, Pat, like I can imagine like those 24 days being some of the most memorable days and you know, filled with such unique experiences for the entire crew on, on this, the set and how it created like such long lasting relationships and stuff. Just, I don't know. It just seems so much fun. Like you could tell yeah. that there was so much heart and, and caring and just attention to detail put into this movie. And like, although it's not the most like subversive or like a uh, thought provoking or even groundbreaking movie out there, I still have like a deep admiration for it because it gets to the heart of why I personally love movies to begin with and why I love filmmaking and why I want to like be a director. It's to create like a unique set of experiences for not only myself, but for others too. And to create like a connection and this really this movie resonates with me in that regard, like both in the story and outside of it. Yeah. Watching it, like, like you were just saying, Pat, like there's so many shots that are just so amazing. And I think that's probably, I think that's part of the reason why, like I was telling you guys earlier, like, I don't know what it is about this movie, but it just made me want to like make a movie again. Like when we all did snake that ate itself totally reminded me of that. I don't know if it's because the setting is kind of the same, too, where we were uh, <laughs> filming. But, um, yeah, like you said, like, it just seems like there was just, like, so much heart and love that went into it. And I can just imagine, like, the cast and crew just all, like, getting along perfectly. It doesn't have, like, the big, uh, like, boisterous, like, Hollywood, like, big money-making film feel. Um, yeah, it's just, like, I don't know, I guess inspiring. It just made me want to do that again. It's been too long. We got to make a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just getting into more of the technical stuff. Like the fact alone that it's in black and white, I have a deep, deep admiration for, for black and white movies and just anything in general that's black and white, because I feel like it, it strips away so much distraction. Like, don't get me wrong. I love movies shot in color, but I love black and white so much. Like, even when it comes to photography and stuff, I, that's my go-to, that's my go-to, um, stock to go with. Um, and the reason is, was because like, I feel personally with color, there's a lot more information that we have to grasp and like perceive. And it's just another layer put in front of, um, the story itself. And it has to, it has to serve the story for for it to be for it to matter really if it's shot in color or black and white and I feel like for this movie the uh, the choice of shooting in monochrome definitely serves the story in in a, a beneficial way because it not only is it an ode to um, like the classical horror movie shot in the twenties and whatnot but it's it's a new take on it and 
it also serves the fact that, you know, it, for a majority of this movie, it's shot at night. And, you know, given the vampire mythology, you know, vampires have to, you know, that's the only time that they can feel safe is at night and whatnot because of the sun. But it serves the story, serves the setting, and it it strips away so much, um, I don't know. Like, although this movie is highly stylized, without the color, it feels even more dramatic. Um, because you're focusing on the characters, you're focusing on, like, the little movements, you're focusing on, like, the dynamics that go in between the two. And then also the fact of, the um, like, the director and the DP's choice of, um, uh, oh yeah, his name is Lyle Vincent. Um, but I feel like for the majority of this movie, they chose to have... Um, a concentration on extreme close-ups as well as um, normal close-ups too and I feel like for the wide shots there was there was a nice balance of them but it was more so focused on the close-up shots which I think which I think really excels in black and white photography because without the color you're you focus so much more on the texture and like there's this one scene like with the disco ball and like just the lights alone like it adds I don't know, it's like a perfect mosaic of design and gestalt principles and all of these different things that it's a lot harder to focus on when it comes with color photography. Because you just the fact that it's like one additional element, it changes everything. But yeah, sorry, I, that's just me nerding out over that. I can't picture watching the film in color. It, it's only black and white in my mind now. I can't. Like, just watching it once... In black and white, I can never go to color. It feel, it just feels wrong. Just even thinking about it right now, like yeah, it's it needed to be in what it was. Yeah, I like that you brought up the fact that um, she's a vampire, and the only time she can feel safe is at night. And but that's when like, but you, you consider the fact that like in our world, if you're a woman and you're walking home alone at night, that's not safe. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that you brought that up because. Um, that is kind of ironic in a way because that's where she feels most safe, but that's where she preys on, you know, um, that's where she becomes a vigilante and preys on the bad people in Bad City. Um, but yeah, you can't really say the same here, you know? Uh, I mean, for anywhere, really, not just here, but uh, I thought that was very interesting. And, you know, she heard skateboarding <laughs> down the streets. I thought that that was like a replacement of like a horse. Her riding a horse instead of a horse, it's a skateboard. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, and I like the um, all the interesting and different characters. They all have like their own names. You know, like there's the prostitute, there's the the junkie, um, the pimp. You know, um, yeah, just like all the names. Like no one has. Everyone has their own, like, archetype in some way. Um, yeah, and even the, the actor, Dominic Reigns, who plays the pimp, I hated him so much. Like, I liked, but I loved how menacing he was. He's just like, what can you do against someone like that? Uh, someone who just owns your corner and, like, you can't escape. Um, you know, and the fact that he's, like, responsible for um, Arash's dad becoming addicted to heroin and you know now he's burdened by that 
and you know his his car gets taken away from him by the pimp and that whole storyline was pretty good um yeah i love arash's arash i love his uh his car's introduction even though we just see him steal a cat and I like that. When he first stole the cat from like someone's backyard, I was like, "Oh, is he like? Is this how he gets his money? Like he st- steals and holds him hostage, and then <laughs> sells him back to the or claims the reward later?" And like, no, he tells the kid, "Like, you know, I got a car like this. I had to work. Or no, do you know how long I worked to get this car?" That he gets in the car. He says, two thousand one hundred ninety-one days," and then he drives away. And then he goes to the upper class society and he's working as a groundskeeper or uh, he's just trimming bushes and doing manual labor whereas oh i thought like i thought he was like more of like i uh, like a, making his money on the streets or like doing what he does but no he actually did work to buy that car that many days and he just stole a cat because he wanted a cat which is <laughs> it becomes his pet and so like there's no yeah i just love the cat and just the whole like introduction of him. oh no he just wanted a cat really bad and he, he i guess he just took it i don't know where the cat was you don't see if it's in an empty like, lot can't get stolen like three times yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's so yeah it's just i love his character he's so i wish he was a bigger celebrity i wish this film would propel his career further because he's so charismatic and perfect in the role he easily carries this movie, especially, I mean, I I remember when I first watched this movie, I thought that he was going to become um, a bit of a of a stereotypical, like, James Dean character, but I want to say towards the midpoint of the movie, it completely disintegrates into something else. And, like, we'll, we'll touch upon that in time, but I, I love the evolution of each character, especially the girls. Because, I mean, it's getting brought up that the fact that um, she is the vigilante of Bad City. And if anything, I I view her as being, like, <laughs> if anything, she she is like the focal point of the city. Like, it's her web. This is, this is her home, and she lets people, like, I mean, she weeds out all the bad apples. To, I mean, like, even in the, in the city itself, there's a massive ditch where they, where they just toss the dead in. And there's like hundreds of people in there, and it's just over an overpass or underneath an overpass that people walk by because it's just yet another day in Bad City. But I feel like this is a web of her own making, and even just her little interactions with like the little boy in the mm. movie, how she's like threatening him, how she can like pluck his eyes out and like feed him to the dogs. So you got to be a good boy. <laughs> so she's like the, she's like the boogeyman figure of this town. And how she changes, how her stance changes, because when her her introduction is my favorite introduction of the movie, where she's just, and it was brought up earlier, um, where she, it, she's just inside of her own little bubble. And one thing I loved about this movie, like to go back to the cinematography, is that a lot of the edges are blacked out. Like they use like an iris effect, which is also um, like a tool that was developed in the, like the birth of cinema, where... Um, it's just a, it's, it's like a vignette surrounded, um, or that focuses on like a Is that almost like a fisheye effect? Yeah, I, I think that there is a bit of like a wide angle effect to it at times as well. Um, but, but like we get introduced, we get introduced to the girl and just the edges are blurred out and it looks like this small little pocket of, of a world that she's created for herself. It almost feels like a basement and there's just all of this pop imagery like from both like uh, Iran and 
also from the U.S. and stuff, like, posters, and then there's, like, a disco ball, and she's just slow dancing by herself, and it's, like, the most evocative scenes I've, I've ever, like, come across in such a long time, and she's, like, sitting down, putting on, like, the eyeliner, and she's just getting ready to go out and feed upon, like, whoever she picks for the night, and I love the fact that her character has so much power over everyone else. I feel like it, it um, subverts the trope of, um, of, of women actually being shown in horror movies and stuff. Like, she's neither the villain nor the hero of the story. But um, the fact that she is a vampire does have a lot of pull on, on how she navigates throughout the world. And I love how she imparts her own version of justice onto the people. You know, she weeds out those who cause others to um, become, like, addicted to substances and those who um, are prone to violence and also those who don't really, like, serve society that, that she... I mean, who she deems inappropriate. And although it's a very skewed and warped um, perspective on, like, justice in this small, like, Western... <laughs> <laughs> it feels like um, I don't know she just has such a unique role in this community and yeah anyways. in fact yeah and the fact that she views what she does even if it's for like the greater justice she still admits to a rash like oh you don't know me I'm bad like she still yeah it shows that she's not like I'm she's not like on a crusade or a personal like she doesn't believe she's doing justice but she She's doing her own form of justice, but she's still acknowledging, like, oh, no, I'm still killing people. Mm -hmm. I'm still a vampire, and this isn't good, and you don't want to get wrapped up with me, Arash. Yeah, but, like, on the flip side of that, though, she's also a person who has a heart. Yeah. Like, no. she, she craves love and, like, all of these, like, romantic feelings and also a place to, to belong in some sense. And she gets that with Arash. And, oh, gosh... Yeah, the narrative in both central characters are so endearing that oh. it carries the film for me. That disco ball scene. <laughs> that, yeah, that's another, that's a perfect, it's a bit, we're not in spoilers yet, but that one alone, that, that hammers the relationship. Yeah. That locks it in. Like, I don't, you don't need to say anything. I don't need to think about how's it going to work out. I just know now because you showed me this. Mm-hmm. This is the best, okay, yeah, we, I guess we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. Should we do ratings? Yeah. I'm going to give this movie a 4.5 out of 5. Um, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 5. Nice. Out of 5. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I just... I've never seen a movie like this. This is like going to be my go-to Halloween movie to show people now. <laughs> like Everyone needs to watch this. Especially for this time of year. Like, spooky season. Yeah. Super unique take. I think especially for people who are aren't fans of horror, uh, it'll show them a different light to it. Yeah. It'll show them that it's not just women running around naked, being stabbed to death or whatever, you know, people aren't being sexually objectified or anything in this film. Yeah, there's a lot more to say about it. Um, yeah, I was kind of struggling with like, dang, how do I feel about this movie? Like, I, there isn't really anything for me to like really dislike. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I share the same like passion and energy 
I mean, like, I, I know that, like, it has all these influences and stuff, but then again, like, I haven't seen many, you know, I've seen, like, yeah, Nosferatu, like, I've seen some of the films that were, it was inspired by, but I haven't seen, you know, all the, all these other auteur filmmakers that she was influenced by, um, but I will give it a four out of five, um, I think there is a storyline with a father that I kind of wished it went a different way. But then again, like, that's just me being nitpicky, thinking that, like, oh, you know, I wished his storyline had, a, I guess, more redemptive arc, but there wasn't really anything there. I felt more bad for the situation than anything. I didn't know um, how to feel about it. And, you know, that does tie to the end of the film. And I'm just still pondering about it. I'll give it a five out of five. Uh, this film is just, it's a unique five out of five. I think my mind, the gold standard right now for me is still Confessions. I'm like, that, yes. that one blew me away. <laughs> uh, this one doesn't have like the same highs in the film, but the film itself as well as the context around it and the creator are such a breath of fresh air. I was like, oh, there's people still care. She cares so deeply about it. It's such... Obviously, people care, but like this film is so uniquely her, and it just reminds me of everything I value and appreciate about film that I just have to give it a five. All right, I'm giving it a five too. Okay, now we gotta now we gotta work on Richie. Okay, uh, Richie, uh, yeah. feel bad now. I only have a four. Um, maybe I'll give it a no, three no, point no, five. Stick no, to, I'm just kidding. No, no, stick no, to it because I, I really no, appreciate yeah. no because I felt the same way about the father. Um, yeah. like it felt like it was kind of shoehorned in like his end. Wait, oh, we're getting to like, oh, we're in, yeah, spoiler, we're, territory. We're in spoiler territory now. Um, um, yeah, if you've got this far, you haven't seen the movie yet. You can rent it on Amazon or YouTube. Definitely support this film. Come back here and listen to us. Cause we are going to talk spoilers now. Um, and I think it's important to, um, to give this movie your money and your view because it tells, um, it tells Hollywood that, hey, we're, we want more of these kind of films. did something wholly original something that we don't really get it took that was six years ago you know what have we gotten anything like it similar to it no no and uh, I feel like I don't want to have to wait another 10 15 20 years to see something like this again 
So, yeah. No, I think you bring up a really great point, Richie, especially because you know, I, I try to rack my brain in terms of like movies that stand out like this one that, that have been made in the past six years. And I think the last one that I was really looking forward to um, was probably The Lighthouse. And even then, like The Lighthouse does not... And, like just for me personally, this movie's this movie is much better than The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse feels Hollywood still when it's not. It's trying not to be, but this feels so unique. If it, when you were comparing the two in my mind, when you said Lighthouse versus this, I'm like, oh, they're two completely different things. Even yeah, they have similarities. Mm-hmm. Like, I I think in terms of like uh, just the world itself and um, what was shown to me in like uh, poster art and like imagery and like uh, trailers and whatnot, just finding something that is you know, being made in contemporary film uh, filmmaking and to, like, have a lot of excitement for, um, like, these new and unique stories that you don't really see a whole lot of. Like, another one that comes to mind is um, another one called, uh, oh gosh, uh, In Fabric. It's a, like, that was another movie that I saw that really caught my attention a few years ago, which... It's yeah, about, and, uh, and it just came out um, not that long ago, right? Yeah, yeah, it came out, I want to say, in, like, 2018 or 19. And it's about, like, a haunted dress that, um, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a commentary on, like, uh, 80s, like, shopping catalogs and, like, the malls and whatnot and, like, like getting the latest trends and, and whatnot. But I, I really love having that pleasant surprise of coming across a movie that immediately speaks to me and this is one of those movies that did and there's there's nothing else quite like it and i'm i'm currently still waiting just like you richie for for another movie like this to come along that does feel like it has a a wholly unique voice and it's like please just (laughs) allow allow unique creators to have a platform to and and support to actually create these movies that you wouldn't get from, you know, Hollywood or from any other major uh, industry that, you know, pumps out media. Yeah, and I think that it's up to us to um, allow that to happen. If, as long as we keep supporting and praising them and, and, and you know, uh, give them <laughs> our money, <laughs> that's the only way for it to happen, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the fact that she had to uh, crowdsource to get this movie made, and you can tell it's her vision. Um, she's an auteur director. She got to make what she wanted to make. I believe uh, they made like $57,000 on Indiegogo, and then, um, and then Elijah Wood uh, found out about um, her film and decided to help her produce it. So all, that's all it really takes. I mean, Elijah Wood. Um, <laughs> Frodo. Yeah, and the fact that yeah he's he's champion he champions these indie films uh, oh, like Mandy spe- like yeah some, yeah something like Mandy and yeah and he does all these like other indie films now and he you know he doesn't go out of his way to like star in all these Hollywood big blockbuster movies anymore he's done it already I'm sure he's tired of it he's only known as Frodo now but uh, I like that he's this fantastic producer and he's uh, keeping an eye out on like these up and coming film directors. One one other thing that you mentioned um, that I want to touch upon, um, where you said that she, I mean that it is a crowdsourced movie. I thought it was mind blowing that she made like a short film or made a short version of this movie, 
and premiered it at the Sundance like Next Festival or something like that, and it got picked up to be further developed in terms of like the the script itself, and then it was eventually turned into a feature. Now, um, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I've heard about this as well, like with uh, Taika Waititi's Boy. Um, he made a short of the feature film that got a lot of attention, which allowed him to fund and develop a feature-length version of that movie. And um, I forget what it turned into. Um, but anyways, um, like since all four of us are like filmmakers and like we want to like you know, pursue this this craft, how would you guys feel if there was like a better program? I mean, if there was a more uh, widespread and uh, I guess renowned, not renowned, but accessible program like the like the next program where it was in place to where we could submit scripts and we could help, you know, get more development and funding to create these sort of things? Do you think it would have like an impact on what it is that you pers- that you do later on in life versus where you are now? I think it would, for sure. I think that, I was going to ask this earlier too, I was just like, because I would love for another movie like this too, but like, do you ever think, even if another, more like 10 more of these movies get made like this, do you ever think they'll actually make enough money for, you know, like, a studio or whoever to, you know, pick it up and keep it going? That's my only question. Mm-hmm. Well, I would like that, but another part of me, I think it's more... Like, those venues and those opportunities would, of course, would be great. But I think the wider society's perception of what media is, it's so one-dimensional. So Hollywood is the definitive media, and Hollywood movies are this. Where, like, uh, there's that great website, No Budge. Mm-hmm. I saw something there from a Russian creator, which is a short film that blew me away. And they post, like, almost, I think daily, they post a new short film someone's made that's worthy of being shown and it's just there's no there's such a small audience for that versus the Hollywood presence where the gap feels impenetrable and I would like this I'd like the short film or the other like they said this was a short before it got approved by the program like the program would be great but also just a more a deeper appreciation for shorts like that would be great because then they could launch themselves from that, or creators could launch themselves from those shorts to higher heights, to higher heights, to eventually the feature length, maybe, mm-hmm. than it is now, which is like, who, like, do you know someone to make a movie? Do you know the right people to make a Hollywood movie that enters the public consciousness? Or are you so gifted, like she was, to make the short that goes to Sundance, which is in a small, it's not a small festival or anything, but it has to be really really high rated or really really good to go to the next level it feels like such a barrier currently or if there's less barriers and we're able to prop up more people i'd love that of course damn yeah i mean as nihilistic as it sounds i mean you're right though like there is a huge distinction now like there isn't a box office for short films you know like when you go see a movie you think feature length but we don't really think about like oh we're gonna go watch that 10 20 minute little film that it just came out like pay two dollars for it you know there isn't really a market for that um i mean there is like every year you know for like the oscars for like all the best short films or like mm-hmm. you know even best documentaries or whatever but all that stuff still feels kind of niche um which sucks because 
you know, we all admire, like, really good filmmaking when we see it. Um, but dang, I, I feel like all that is ruined because of those big studios. Because of um, Disney. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, because of something like Disney, we all of a sudden have to follow these standards now. Yeah. Like, oh my god, are you going to have a cinematic universe? Or, oh my god, how is it going to tie into this next movie? Like, shh, shh. who cares? Can the, can the movie just stand by itself? Can... Can we think about that first, a story, before we think about, oh my god, where is it going to lead? Um, yeah, it's tough. Um, I mean, yeah, I would love to have that program. Like, I think that it would inspire a lot of up-and-coming filmmakers. It would get people to like reconsider what they want to do in their lives. Like, Even um, Anna Lily Amapur, like, she studied biology... Because her parents wanted her to. Her parents wanted her to be a surgeon or, like, a doctor or something. Just like how my mom wanted me to be a doctor or whatever. Like, where I turned out. We're doing a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I totally relate to that. And how she, you know, she dropped out of school because she wasn't passionate for it. Until they told her, okay, just study something you're passionate about. She's like, okay, I'm going to go to UCLA. I'm going to get into script writing. I'm going to do all this stuff. And now she accomplished her dreams. Um, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the program would definitely do something to inspire people, but then again, like, it's, I don't know. I feel like the demographic, it's going to be so small. I have good news for you guys. A popular short was recently featured by Netflix. Really? Yeah. Well, it's called What Did Jack Do? Oh, oh yeah. By a small, <laughs> not that commonly known director, uh, David Lynch. Yes. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't get through the whole thing yet. I only maybe watched half of it, and I'm just like, I don't know where this is going. But <laughs> My joke was just, you got to be David Lynch caliber for yeah. anyone to give a shit about your short film. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or the wider audience of Netflix consumers. Like, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's so odd when we compare, uh, like, the U.S. stance on short films versus, like, the European stance on short films, because there's, like, the French Film Festival, which is, like, I mean, it, it comes over here, it comes to Sacramento, and it's just all shorts. And, like, you have you have uh, places like, or you have, um, you have, like, little uh, organizations like the BFI, where it's, like, the film lottery, where you can, like, pitch ideas, and... If your idea gets picked through like a lottery, then you get your you get to produce your movie. Like that's that's inc- that's crazy. Like that's in- that's incredible. Like I wish that we had something like that here. Like like a um, like a government funded program because you know I read about these memoirs of like directors and people who have worked in film and stuff and how they were supported you know during their initial years on the come up and even you know going back to like David Lynch and stuff like. He he got like a scholarship when he was like living in Pennsylvania to pursue art and stuff, and then he eventually moved over to Los Angeles and attended uh, AFI on a on another scholarship. And like I I remember when I was looking for a master degree or uh, graduate degree programs, AFI was like one of my top schools that I I'd wanted to go to, and then I looked at the tuition. I'm like. <laughs> like there's yeah. no way unless I want to be in debt for the next like 20 years of my life 
it's like it's just not accessible anymore. Yeah. Like whatever well there was has like it's running dry, and it's it's not easy to be an indie filmmaker in the U.S. Because I mean, although there's like all of these different writing workshops and stuff in like Los Angeles and all of these different uh, clubs and and uh, workshops to be a part of, I feel like it's so like although. I would like to see a blanket organization where it does its best to lift up voices that are marginalized and that don't get the platforms that they should. I feel like eventually everything becomes so homogenous. Like even like no budge was mentioned earlier. Like I could, <laughs> they have a certain aesthetic. They, do. they have, yeah, they, they do have a certain aesthetics that they, that they, um, I don't know. It seems like they weed out whatever whatever types of movies don't fit that aesthetic, and it feels like an echo chamber to a certain degree. And although I do appreciate what they're doing, and I just worry about organizations becoming homogenous like that, and becoming so I don't know, just stuck in their ways of like alienating new voices. Like even in Sacramento, like we have. Um, like different film festivals here and it's like it's just all one you know it, this one group of people yeah it's just one group of people who controls everything it's all homogenous yes exactly it's a very american thing like uh like the bfa here like sesame street is politicized and like funding for sesame street is made a political issue picture making films that one side's going to label like democratic propaganda or even inverse harmful Republican propaganda. It's just, it feels like there's no room for that in America anymore. Mm -hmm. You can't make a truly unique film like this with a grant from the U S government. Cause everyone's going to want their homogenistic thing to be the centerpiece of your work mm -hmm. and not allow you to be your own thing. They'll probably be like, Oh, does Arash have to be Iranian? Can he be something else? Can we have an interracial <laughs> relationship here and have a, you know a James Dean guy, and not this guy? Can we get <laughs> Can we get the resurrected deep fake James Dean actor <laughs> to romance the girl in the film? Can we get Tom Cruise? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just well, um, I, I think you're right in that regard because, I mean. It reminds me of, of David Cronenberg, who's a Canadian filmmaker, of course. Um, a lot of his movies, like, they didn't, like, in his initial run, I, I want to say they didn't get as much support as he would like to have gotten. However, eventually Canada ended up supporting him in, in his pursuits because they viewed it as as uh, enhancing their own artistic culture as a whole. Like, they didn't care about, like, the political message or anything or what sort of commentary his movies might have but they did it purely for artistic sake. They were, they were, they were providing the artist with a platform to do what they wanted to do, say whatever it is that they wanted to say purely for the fact that, you know, it, it's, it's, it originates from their country and they're doing it as sort of like a, like pride in their own nationalism and how they support or not nationalism, but, um, having pride in their own artistic community as a country. And their own culture. Mm -hmm. uh, did he do Videodrome? Yes. That's a perfect example. Think about the current perception of James Woods, if you're going to have him in a film. 
Or, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if you were to feature Videodrome somewhere again, this anti-capitalist media film with James Woods, who's now become a, a polarizing figure, it's just so disheartening. Really. You feel That alone may be reason for a theater house to not feature Videodrome, even though it's a great film. Mm-hmm. It's just... That's, uh, it's also tiresome. <laughs> it's also tiring. <laughs> and when it comes to this film, um, like what I read on the Wired.com article about this film, um, people ask uh, the director if this is a political film or like what kind of political messages are you aiming for? And she's all like, well, I mean, she doesn't really see it like that. She says that the, uh, here's a quote, she says if there's one political thing about her film, she says it's not the, the Chador. The Chado? Yeah, the outfit um, that the girl wears. She said it's rockabilly because it's not okay to be gay in Iran. And rockabilly is the, the, the person who with the balloon in mm-hmm. drag. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she goes for that. Um, it's all, you know, sprinkled in the film. I don't think she's trying to be in your face about anything, I guess, uh, in particular. But yeah, that scene... It really, yeah, I really thought about that scene when that came up. I'm like, oh, yeah, what's what's going on with this? Um, it was a beautifully filmed scene, and I like that they uh, had that character, and it does say something about, like, their culture. Um, yeah, I just, I just like that she's not being overtly political, you know? Or, yeah, or if it is, it's... It's not, like you said, over. It's you make those connections, and those are your projections, your political projections onto the film itself instead of the film feeding you what it wants you to think. Yeah, the, the film makes you want to do the work to look it up and say, oh, what does this all mean? Uh, who is that character, and why does she... What's the intention behind that? Um, the film is, like, a really great example of, like, show and don't tell... <laughs> I like that about her. She's very subtle in her filmmaking. Um, and now that we're in spoilers, um, yeah, there are other aspects where I guess I couldn't get into, get into as much, like the relationship between Arash and his father, mm-hmm. where his father was freaking out about like the cat and how it reminded him of um, Arash's mother. And he's like, you look into... You look into its eyes, and that's, you know, that's your mother. Um, I don't know, the whole angle of, like, him kicking him out, but giving him money and drugs, and then, like, we see his fate later on, and then he gets upset, and he wants to know what happened. It's just, like, I don't know, that whole back and forth between the relationship, like, was he, like, conflicted the whole time? Because he felt very, he he felt like, it, it seemed to me that he had a really strong conviction of just kicking him out and then never seeing him again. It didn't seem like there was any um, any redemption or like to have amends between him and his dad. That that's what it came off to me. Um, so I was very conflicted about that. I'm like, man, I don't know how to feel about it because like I didn't want him to die. I didn't want him to go out like that. Like I felt very sorry for his character. Like, dang, that's how it goes. But then when he like injected. Um, Addie, the prostitute, uh, with mm. heroin. I'm like, no, they, the film is going this route, and like, now there's no, this is the point of no return, because like, it comes off as him in a way um, abusing her, like, 
it almost came off as uh, sexual abuse. And I'm like, dang. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, that was really tough for me. But, you know, I, I can't fault her for wanting to make that decision. Um, that's where she wanted to take the character, and that's where she wanted to take it. Um, and I think for me, it didn't really work as well. And, um, but other than that, I mean, there are other aspects of the film where I really admired. Just that part of the storyline, I'm, I'm just, like, put off. Yeah, that hit, that hit pretty... Trying to think of the, I wrote it off as like him giving the money and kicking him out as just like frustration and naivety. I guess I was just willing to forgive that because I've had interactions with people who are like addicted to heroin or even close to me, and it's just such your your options are non-existent feeling. You see the person change, and then you can you see them, you catch up, you'll be friendly, you'll stress the importance of them getting help can be. Uh, and then personally, I don't give, like, I know not to give them money. You can't give them money because if they do go out and hurt themselves or OD and you feel your money's connected to that, you'll feel the guilt of being one of the reasons for their death. But then you want to help them at the same time. It's just a, it's such like a, uh, it's a unique addiction and it's just, it's such a like vice grip thing of like, there's no like alcoholism. There's no hard answer of like yeah like a, going in a drunk tank and sobering up and then taking up and go like you're not fucking drinking again with something like heroin there's so much like neurological damage that can be done from like sudden like cold turkey cutoffs withdrawals and all this other horrible stuff where it's just i empathize with a rash and just like like what what the fuck ever here's the money i just want peace and if this is what you value more than me and the family, then go ahead. And she's like, I empathize with him. I don't think he was right or justified or anything, but it's just like, I can understand it. And it's like, oh. And then it does take a bit of a turn with the prostitute angle and stuff. Like, okay, it's it's not explicit still, but it's like, okay, I, yeah. I wasn't dissatisfied with the resolution. Again, if I was a nitpick, so, nitpick something with the film, it's just those scenes felt kind of flat when like the father's going through withdrawals. Like, compared to how stylish everything else is, mm-hmm. it's, like, a bit wide, and it's just, like, a bit sped up, and, like, a little bit of a strobe effect, and it's, like, you could do, like, there's, like, Requiem for a Dream stuff, like, you could do a lot more, <laughs> yeah, you could just, or you could just get more stylish, and just, like, make it more terrifying, or just, I don't know, if, maybe that's my projections of what it should be, but I was, oh, this is its own thing, and it's kind of weak compared to everything else, but the film's so, so good to me. Yeah, I'd agree. That's, like, the only thing, now that you said that, that's, like, the only thing I would have a problem with. It just seemed kind of, like, pointless, mm-hmm. that, like, side story. Like, the, I mean, not pointless, but, like... There wasn't much substance. Yeah, there needed... And if you're gonna, like, bring that in, I feel like they gotta... Um, and Lily's gotta add more, yeah, substance and mm-hmm. more writing to it. This well, is where we can project our political stuff, <laughs> The opium stuff and the war, the war on terror, the Middle East interventionist stuff, the heroin epidemic and the war on terror, like hand in hand, and like how those mm-hmm. became so absurgent in the Middle East. Really, even his dad's the fact he's addicted to heroin. You could read that as like a political commentary about the Western intervention and the how that skewed the values and the market of the culture in those areas. But that was a tangent, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I, I gotta say I agree. I um, I, I agree with the ambivalence of that storyline purely for the fact that um, when I mean I I I felt that it was also not as developed as it could have been. And like you, Pat, I do empathize with Arash in the way that he handled it. Um, however, I thought it was a bit too abrupt because I felt like at this point in the in the narrative, Arash's father, he is he's past the the worst. I want to say, or he's just approaching the worst. I, it's hard for me to pinpoint it. But it seemed like he's just about to like turn a new leaf, and that there might be hope for him. And the fact that Arash is just so quick to kick him out after like this one episode of breaking everything and finally like letting out all of this pent up aggression over losing his wife, and you could tell that he has so much hostility towards her because he feels that she's haunting him, and you can tell that he's never truly faced up to these emotions. Because, you know, it's like, who, who knows how long he's been on drugs, like, hiding away from, from, these, from this, like, inner turmoil. And now that he isn't dependent on it anymore, it's finally starting to surface. And I feel like it got canned by, ha by having his story play out the way it did. Because, you know, to serve the ending of the movie, which I thought sucked. Like, it, I mean, I didn't think the ending sucked. I think it sucked for Arash's father. Like, I, I, I don't think that he should have gone out like that as well, because he was on path to, I don't know, for something more, and, yeah, I, I get it, though. I get the fact, I get why it was decided upon, and I love the ending of the movie. I was gonna say, yeah, it connects so heavily with it, the ending. Yeah, yeah it does. I, I just wish that there had been a bit more, like, like you said, like, in terms of uh, just how stylized it could have been. Like, with the Requiem for a Dream, you know, you have, like, the pupils dilating, you have, like, all of these... Or just, like, the horrors, well, they, the, they, the withdrawal I, horrors being filmed more horrifically. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and, like, having a bit more of the expressionist element that was so prevalent throughout the entire movie, that way we could get a glimpse into Arash's father's uh, inner inner uh, state of being. And it felt like we, we didn't get that side of him, and... I just found it to be so tragic for him to just end up on the streets with, like, no... I don't know. And I, I think... I think there was, like, substance and depth to it. I, I think just what went wrong, at least for me, is just how it turned out for his fate. Um, because, you know, there were instances where, like, we see how lonely he is, like, he was hanging out with Addie the prostitute, and then, like, his first encounter with, um, the girl, you know, where he sees her, and then, you know, he's trying to walk home, and then, like, she's, like, following his pattern. Like, that was a really great scene. I thought that was, yeah, fantastically done, but even before all that, like, you can see how, like, he's trying to, like, have a conversation, uh, with Addie, like, oh, why don't you talk to me, and, like, you know, let's just be close and stuff. Um... You do feel bad for him. He's really pathetic. Like, it's terrible. Like, he's... Um, so, yeah, there. it was kind of, like, foreshadowing that, like, she's keeping an eye on him. And, um, yeah, the moment he, like, really messes up is when she had to, like, put him put him out of his misery, you know? And that sucks. Yeah, that sucks for his... his the fate of that character. Um, but it does tie really well at the end of the day, like, at the end of the film... 
to me, I thought that was really strong. Like, Arash is um, conflicted, but seeing the cat, and, you know, I like that you just have to interpret, like, what's going on. Like, it, the movie doesn't tell you, but you don't know, like, what he's thinking. For me, I'm thinking, like, oh, he's thinking about the cat. You know, maybe he's thinking about his mom. You know, does he really believe that the cat is his mother? Or, like... For me, I, I wasn't thinking, like, oh, he probably thinks she killed him. Because if I was in his shoes, I would be thinking, like, how would that even happen? And, like, you know, he has no idea that she's a vampire. Oh, there's a lot of... There's, uh... She references she's bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but... She does bad things. But no, when he sees the cat, it's like a yeah. great slow, and so the depth of field so shallow, and he's just looking, and then she grabs the bag. She goes over, there's a table of men's watches and jewelry, oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's, she's just like slowly in. scooping it in. Yeah, I think and, it connects for him. Yeah, he's just sitting there watching this. Now, I, I got the complete opposite, where like, the second he gets out of the car, I'm like, we're at the climax of like yeah, how he, he's going to handle this. And I was so set up for, like, the tropish thing to happen that when the film doesn't do that, I was like, okay. I really like it now. I'm so glad it didn't do, like, some yeah. tropey bullshit at the end. I'm so glad that them two together in the car reference what he was talking about earlier when she rejects him and says, oh, I'm not, I'm bad, and she leaves, and he, he says, it, it seems like a platitude at that moment. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the film, he means it, and you can tell he means it, especially after losing his father, which he goes away in a kind of unsatisfactory way. But the fact that his, Arash has to lose him then to feel the gravity of having someone you can love next to you at that moment where he's like, the storm is behind him. Even if she did kill him, we're together now, and it's not going to bring him back. It's not going to solve anything. It's like a masculine Hollywood trope thing of like, oh, you killed my father, prepare to die. Why would he do that? It doesn't, yeah. it's not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. He's here with this person he loves now, and the ending is so perfect for that. I just love it so much. And the editing and the sound, it's so, I could keep fucking talking. <laughs> <laughs> editing is absolutely incredible in this movie. Like, even just letting certain shots breathe and not cutting away to like a cliche, like reaction shot or anything like that. They're in there so... Oh my god. But yeah, I thought Arash put it together for sure. Especially when he gets out and starts walking back and forth. Yeah. It's easily, like, my favorite point in the editing of, like, the entire movie. Is, like... Because, no, you're absolutely right. Like, when he does, like... You know, we're going down, like, this long and dark road. And there's, like, no streetlights or anything like that. And it's all, like, bumpy and, like, gravelly and stuff. And... One of the things that I really appreciated about the editing of the sequence is like we get a lot of time with the girl and of course the cat in the car and we get to see like the expression of of her of her like whatever like what's she thinking like it, does she know that he knows like all of these other things and we don't get like a reaction shot of of Arash we all we get is like the back and like him staring off into nothingness deciding what to do like, like you mentioned, Richie, like, is he thinking about his mom? Is he thinking about, like, all these other things? And it's, like, it creates so much suspense without showing that much yeah. and without saying anything. And I remember in, a, in an interview, or I think that uh, she, the director has, like, hearing loss. I think that she has, like, 
30% or she has 30% hearing loss, which is why she doesn't have a lot of dialogue in her movies, which I thought is just, it reminds me of like Nicholas Winding Refn and how he's like colorblind mm -hmm. and like how he composes shots. Or he doesn't drive either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so, it's so unique in how like certain uh, characteristics and qualities of ourselves like carry over into our own, into our own forms of expression. But anyways, back to the editing of the scene. We're, we're, like, getting this, like, beautiful shot of um, headlights on Arash as he's, like, thinking of, like, what to do next. Like, what does he do, like, with this, like, because, like, he has, like, this new undiscovered future just over the horizon in this city. And the same goes for the girl, too. Like, I feel like when um, she is uh, grabbing all the watches and putting them inside of her bag and, like, leaving this, this nest of a home behind... Obviously, the next city they go to is she's not going to be able to get away with as much because, like, in bad city, she can literally kill whoever she wants. There's virtually no police. Like, I don't think there's any form of, like, justice. It's like the Wild West out there. But if they go to a more developed place, obviously, she's putting her own livelihood at risk by doing this and by choosing to pursue this relationship with Arash. And just the. I think that um, the the disco scene alone, like, mm -hmm. it, it touches upon the fact of, like, how unspoken everything goes between the two. Because by the, by the end of the movie, they are in a relationship without having said anything about it, without even having agreed upon it. Like, hey, will you go out with me or any of this? It's no, it's completely unspoken. It's so natural, so organic. And what does Arash do? He chooses to go with the thing he's never known. He chooses to, like, take a risk to make a leap of faith with the girl who is also doing the same thing. And it's so endearing, so beautiful. And oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah, Rich, Rich, it's you so made, worth it. Rich, you made me think, because uh, I think Arash for sure knows with the cat and like somehow she's responsible for the father's death. But what you were just saying, Kevin, reminded me of that moment when he's walking back in the car. I think he first gets back in after the walking back and forth in front of it and thinking what to do. He gets back in and she seems like for the first time in the film, like visibly flustered. She's like looking sideways. She yeah. looks nervous. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was watching, I was sitting there thinking like, Oh, does she, is she worried? He knows that she killed the Like, no, no, it's just the fear of rejection. And it's like he said, with the connection to the director, it feels like such a, it feels so it's even more endearing when I think of it now, like, that anxiousness she was showing, I was like, oh, I've been found out, he's going to hate me. I think it's just more of a simple, like, oh, is he having second thoughts about running away together? Is it just the fear of rejection now? And I have a whole other, I just want to get that. Yeah. I love that fucking thing. Yeah, because it can be interpreted in a multitude of ways. I, yes. I feel like it'd be a huge, at least for me personally, like, watching the movie, like, at least I think that would be a huge, like, to, for him to logically assume that she could kill his dad, I don't know. I don't know how he would be able to put that together besides just connecting the cat. You know, it's like when we watch Burning, like, how would we connect all these pieces together? Like, you don't really know for sure. Um, yeah, he saw all the watches, but yeah, that could just be because she said that she's a bad person. Oh, I'm a thief, just like you. Because he's yeah. a thief as well. He stole his earrings. Um, but also, I think he knows because remember when the drug dealer gets killed, 
she like walks out of his apartment. Right, but, oh, yeah. but I it's, think that totally. Oh yeah, that's another. Yeah. yeah, this is this is not a burning situation. This is prolonged, <laughs> and I think yeah, we're burning. We were, I was specifically making right. some conspiracy chalkboard like. <laughs> yeah. But I forgot about yeah. There's yeah, that no, that's a good too. point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but still, like, he may not, if, he doesn't know she's that, a vampire. Yeah, there's that naive naivete that's still with him. For me, I'd still be pretty naive, like. I don't know. I don't know. How could you kill someone? I mean, if if we're still thinking in terms of, like, the culture there in Iran, like, you know, how is she... How how would she be able to do it, you yeah. know? Like, there's no way this little girl with a skateboard yeah. <laughs> can kill him. This drug... De- you know, this pimp drug dealer, you know? Um, but I don't know. Like, uh... And, you know, I want to shout out the editor, uh, Alex O'Flynn. Just want to put that out there. Oh, yes, thank That's you. That's the editor. Yeah. Of the film. Incredible um, job. Absolutely incredible. This is kind of off topic, but another one of my favorite scenes is when he, like, is coming down off the ecstasy and he's, yes. like, staring at the light. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, the play on, like, I'm Dracula. Don't worry. I'll hurt you. And, yeah. like, she's actually a vampire. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, then she, it's, like, yeah. the most endearing moment in the film, or one of, when she... He's like, no, I can't go. Like, I have to sit down. And then she just looks at the skateboard, and I'm like, yes. She's going to push him on the skateboard, and then he's just, like, holding on to the board, freaking riding through the town. No, I'm so glad you bring up, like, that entire side story, because, like, that was one of my favorite uh, arcs of Arash's, is that, you know, here he, he does have, like, such change in fortune throughout the entire story. You know, he... From right off the bat, we get that he's a hard worker just by him saying so in the beginning of how hard he's worked to get this car and how he's unwilling to, you know, give this kid a few a few bucks and stuff. He's like, no, you have to work for it. Like, I just got this. Like, but um, anyways, and then um, only to have it taken from him at the expense of his father's addiction to the local drug dealer and, and pimp. And, um... And then the girl, like, comes in and has, like, this sort of, like, divine intervention where she, she, um, takes, takes care of the pimp and, like, kills him, only to have, like, Arash, like, come back into not only his car, but to the entire, uh, drug dealer's stash of drugs and whatnot. So now he has, he, he's, like, the local kingpin of the community by, um, you know, becoming a drug dealer himself. He, he turns away from being the, uh, the groundskeeper and from stealing and to, you know, dealing drugs. And here we are at this Halloween party and he's like, the, you know, come right in this high end and everyone's like coming up to him, wanting to get drugs and stuff. And then the girl who he ends up liking there convinces him to take ecstasy as well. And then from my own impression, I felt like Arash may have believed that something might have like fruition from that it might have blossomed between the two but then like when he sees her dancing off with some other guy it's just only further validation that he is still lost like just as lost as he was before yeah in bad city like he is completely alone and isolated and just searching for something more and this 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 newfound fortune just does not land and so here he is like walking home like in the suburban area, like, I have, I mean, I've, I've personally been that in that situation before, like, where you're walking home at, like, 3 a.m., and you have, like, the glow of, like, the street lamps, like, coming by, and it's, like, this apartment complex, and there's nobody else out there, and you feel like, like, the world is just completely silent, and you are just alone, 
And then to have him, like like you said, Tyler, just staring up at the lamp, yeah. <laughs> just completely immersed in like whatever mm. his own little world is is um, showing off to him. And then to have the girl like just staring, standing and like staring at him, like just seeing what he's actually doing. You could tell that this is a person that's different from everyone else that she's come across. And and then like when when he's like oh yeah I just have to sit she's like oh no come with me you can you can like go to my apartment you can, or you can go to my my house like you could sit there that was like because we don't get much of of her own perspective and like her own perception of life which is yet another thing that I love about this movie because I feel like with so many vampire movies we get like glimpses into them when they interact with other characters but we don't see what goes on in their own world when they are alone and with the girl I mean we get so much of that like yeah. she's she loves music she loves dancing she loves like all of, she loves longboarding she you know she loves taking baths and like all of these things and I feel like we get so much insight into the world of this person who was afflicted by i don't know if it's a disease mutation what what have you but that's the beautiful thing about this movie it's it's not about the vampirism yeah. it's about living with that <laughs> i love the way a rash her connect where it's it's vaguely threatening for a rash not for him he's not aware of it but it's like you're thinking like, oh is she is she gonna make him the next victim what's gonna stop it and he does this like endearing like sweet thing even though it doesn't land but, like he covers oh you're so cold and he covers with his little cape and he's like okay let's sit down and then it's like he goes from like trying to be endearing and soothing which is like a, no one has done that to her yet in the film and she's like taken aback by it he's like, okay let's sit down and like he compla he collapses and he's completely vulnerable from then on to her and that's a new thing for her where she does oh right, let's actually go to my place I'll take care of you and she puts him on the board and she's just from then on, I was like 90% sure she wasn't going to bite him. Shout out, uh, Death by White Lies. Yes. That disco scene. <laughs> that right? entire the scene. disco of, ball. It was just, I think it was just one long take, right? Yeah, one right? long take. Yeah. Like, she's, she's putting on the record, and she's just standing there waiting for something to happen, which is, like, her, the entire movie. Like, even before this scene, she's waiting for something new to happen. And what does he do? He, like, gets up and slowly walks over to her. And you could tell that there's some sort of magic that is just being amplified and magnified as they become ever close to one another. And it's beautifully shot in slow motion. And he spins the disco ball because he notices it's not going. And then you could just see all of these little moves building up to this, this intimate moment between these two outcasts where she you knows she finally turns to, to Arash and he lifts his head up or she like pushes his forehead up against exposing his neck. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, this is the moment where it like makes or breaks and then what does she do? She just simply rests her head on his chest. You hear his heartbeat, which I think she's absent of because she's the cold. She's a vampire. She's like the living undead. That, yeah, that, that, that hammered home the relationship alone without anyone saying anything. It was just so endearing. It's and like the, the best like, like, kissing scene in a movie with no kissing <laughs> yes yes because like the music like it's building up for like yeah. a minute minute and a half and then like right when it finally hits that crescendo and breaking point like the guitars like come in like you know the singers like kind of like yelling a bit more and it's like this fear's got a hold of me yeah. and it's like the lyrics alone to the song it just 
tells so much of like the barriers that people put up and how each person just wants the other to just leap over them <laughs> and get to them. Oh, and yeah. we get that with this scene. Isn't like a rash looking down a bit like a, a stereotypical like, oh, here comes the kissing moment. And that's when she goes for the hair. And that is actually all pulling your head back to expose your neck. <laughs> and then she does the endearing thing of the heartbeat listening. It's, oh, it's, it feels less superficial than if they kissed. If they kissed, it wouldn't have been as... It wouldn't have landed the same at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with what you're saying about that. Yeah. And he's probably wondering, wow, your lips are cold too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of high the whole scene, I think. Isn't yeah. he still? Well, I mean, I'm sure it, come, it came down. I mean, that's why he was collapsing, right? Cause yeah. He remembered her at least and all the, other, the details yeah. of that were yeah, she lives. Yeah, he knew where she lived. So, um, and we also get like a cameo from um, Anna Lily Amapur. Oh, yeah. Skeleton Girl. Yeah, asking for um, X. Mm, um, I didn't that. That's her, yeah. And um, damn, I was gonna bring up. Yeah, I love the, the, that scene a lot. But I, I like it even more uh, is when he got her to meet him at the near oh, the, um, the, the industrial plant area, and <laughs> where he pierced her ears for her. I really like that scene a lot. Um, yeah, that was such an endearing scene for me. Yeah, I was like, that this is was like a great first date. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, well, I never met anyone that didn't like hamburgers before. But this is because she can't eat hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, like, each thing he's, like, trying to do just completely falls flat. Yeah. And then the one thing that does, I mean, yet another thing is, like, finding out that she doesn't have her ears pierced. Yeah. And, I don't know, I, I like what you're going for with it, Richie. Yeah. Well, that really it's... landed in the beauty of the shot. Like, there's one of the, like, times, there's so many shots that are just, oh, it's like a poster. Yeah. Like, that mm -hmm. one opens, like, the car, him, and, car in the foreground, him in the mid, and her in the back a bit, and the industrial plant and all that. It's just, it communicates so richly. And it's a good insight to the girl's character, where she, she wants to try to get her ears pierced. Like, that's just a bit of, I don't know, like, when she... Sh the first year, and she's like, her fangs come out a bit, she hides it. you like, oh, you, you care. You're like, oh, man, this must suck. But it's so... It feels cute. The whole scene feels cute and endearing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's very, uh, like you said, endearing. Very, it's an adorable scene, and it's very romantic. Um, you don't really get that a lot in horror movies, but I like that this is... That movie that is able to blend uh, gothic romanticism and into a, like a vampire spaghetti western <laughs> type of film, um, yeah, I, I that that really did it for me in terms of like supplanting their relationship together and like I want them to be, you know I want I ship them together like I want them to be together I want everything to work out and um, yeah and I'll, I'll just props to like the performers in the film. Um, Sheila Van, you know, like, I think she really, like, commands her presence, like, I don't know, something about, like, her, her look and her eyes, like, just like, damn it, I have a crush on you too, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Arash Morandi, like, both of them do such a good job, like, Arash Morandi just crushes it with, he just oozes charisma, like, you just... Yeah. You just, he's so likable, even though he's kind of despicable himself. He's a thief. He steals from, like, rich people, and, um, he's just very smooth and suave, and, um, he lets that, he lets that get to him when 
those two girls like ask him for drugs, and he's like, "Oh, it's on me. You can have it. Like, you, you know, you don't gotta pay me." Yeah, they um, reject him and all that. Yeah, Society rejects him. Yeah, and he still gets rejected, um, which is sad. Um, but yeah, he and Sheila Van like they're the two stars that like carry the film, and I like that you don't even get introduced to her until like maybe like ten, fifteen minutes mm. later into the film. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, one other area of the movie that I want to like shed some or um, shine some appreciation on is the art direction, as well as the wardrobe and production design. Um, yeah, the, uh, Sergio de la Vega did the production design. Um, and Sam Kramer with the art direction, mm-hmm. and then um, for wardrobe and costumes, it was Natalie O'Brien, and as well as the makeup with Jill Fogel and Louise Cockburn. All of their work contributed and elevated this movie to a much more believable standard and a much more um, relatable uh, field for people to just, you know, connect with. And I just appreciate their attention to detail because if there's one thing I'm becoming more present of in, like, my own filmmaking ability or filmmaking pursuits, it's the importance of art direction because... It just elevates everything and makes it all the more believable by by just giving um, non-verbal cues as to the environment and like who inhabits the environment and what interests they have. Like even just looking into the girls' um, uh, living space, we we learn so much about her, and then we you know in comparison to Arash and his father's, uh, like, it looks like a small apartment. There's virtually, like, nothing besides, like, a few family photos. And then with the pimps, it's all, like, lavish and, like, this incredible, like, sound system with, like, all of these records and stuff. And Even how he looks with all of the tattoos and stuff that goes in to, like, the design of his character. Yeah. He has to, the sex... It says sex on, her, on his neck. And, like, just... Everything about his character, like, yeah, they did a really great yeah. job. His wardrobe, yeah. his like yeah. costume was awesome. Mm-hmm. I loved him. Oh, and his haircut and everything, mm-hmm. like yeah. all of his, his like mustache, like Fu Manchu, which like shaved in the middle. <laughs> like, <laughs> so striking the the cast with the jacket with the pants. It's just such yes. a striking. Like he's it's so unique. His silhouette, yeah, his silhouette. His when he's a small, he's smaller in the frame in one shot where he has the cast, but it just it's so unique. It stands out so much, mm-hmm. and it makes him so. You 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 relate to him, not relate to him, but you his character is so defined compared to just him standing there, without the cast. So, something about the cast on him just makes him more endearing and just makes the whole thing more. Just lands more. Even even with the girl like with her own wardrobe and everything like the stripe, it's like a black and white striped shirt, mm. and then her haircut, and then even like each character has a certain look when it comes to, like even a certain time of the day. Like, for instance, when um, the girl comes out of her apartment or whatever it is and sees Arash just, like, sitting at the foot of it, you know, she's dressed in, like, this 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 oversized shirt. And then, like, when he does make the pitch to her, like, oh, we gotta leave, like, I I personally felt that, um, um, uh, <laughs> that he felt like um, somebody was gonna get payback with him. For killing his dad and mm-hmm. finding out that, oh, like, you stole all the drugs from this one guy. Like, we're out to get you now. But, you know, she changes back into her, her iconic shirt, or, you know, the stripes and whatnot. <laughs> I, don't know, I and love the it. And, yeah. Every, yeah, her whole outfit, like, it's a good representation of where they're from. 
Yeah. And Arash looks away. So it's... Like, that's right, Arash. You, yeah. <laughs> it's like a you courtesy. Gentlemen. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have to. Like, it's only her there. No one's going to judge him for it, but he still does it. It's like, okay, he cares deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you picked this film. Um, it, it, it was the perfect time to pick this film. <laughs> right around Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only, we're only, like, what, a couple of days out? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, uh, just the, every, the, all the aesthetics worked really well, like from the the cinematography from Lyle Vincent to like all the costume design and the editing, even from the uh, the music that was composed by um, Beiru and Johnny Jewel. I thought the music, the music especially, worked really well. I thought um, from that opening song from her bedroom, I was like, dang, I like this song. Like it was like kind of a, a monologue. In that song, um, yeah, it reminded me a lot of like this other French-based artist, The Desire, and I really liked that kind of music a lot. Um, yeah, just yeah, a lot of things really worked for the, for me for the film, and yeah, and she, I think I believe she made two other films after this one, The Bad um, Batch. Yeah, The Bad Batch with um, Keanu, Jason Momoa, and. Suki Waterhouse, I believe. Yeah, other... No, and Jim Carrey. Jim I thought Keanu was in that one. I was like the dad. I think he was supposed to be in it. I don't remember if he actually is in it. Okay. But yeah, it did sound familiar. Um, yeah, I think she... It's working on a film right now. I'm, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I hope that she has a really good filmmaking career. And um, she's definitely a director to watch out for. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, I hope to see more from her. And uh, with that said, I mean, I don't know if you guys have anything else more to add to it or not. I have a little, where's the quote? I have a little quote from an interview with the director on, from The Telegraph. And this is why, I'm, going back to why I gave it a five and why it's so, it needs, it needs the rating of that level. She says this, I want to explore my own brain. I think I make films because I'm lonely. I'm just lonely and it's a way to try to tell the world who I am. And I, I just agree, and I can't think of a better reason to make films. To piggyback off of your quote, there's another interview with her with Movie Maker, where um, also it ties in with the loneliness factor. She says, but taking that a step further, the truth is that I make films to make friends and find real intimacy, a connection with others based on something that's meaningful to me. The people who make these films with you, your cast and crew, it's like they're on a vision quest with you. That That is an incomparable experience. And then when the film is done and out there, the people who are attracted to your film, the audiences, festivals that embrace it, other filmmakers, artists, the critics who like what you do, those are my friends. And I don't expect to be friends with everyone. Just a beautiful, beautiful um, mindset from a very inspirational filmmaker. And I hope everyone gets a chance to check this movie out. Yeah, so yeah, that being said, um, stay tuned for our next week's episode. It's going to be a little something different, I guess, in terms of uh, all the films that we've been picking. Um, It's going to be my turn. I'm going to be picking next. So uh, 
Should I just tell everyone? Mm, I think it's nah. a better reveal. Yeah, we'll keep it. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I think it's a perfect reveal to get people like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but stay tuned for our next week's episode. Um, thank you for listening, and um, and hopefully, and thank you for staying till till the end. Uh, if you stuck with us till the end, you're the real MVP. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know who stays on the. Yeah, who, the end. who even listens to this podcast? Yeah, <laughs> I don't make it to the end. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you've stayed this long, um, leave us like a review or even email us. Give us your thoughts on like our episode or even the film itself or uh, even future recommendations. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Layfilm uh, Podcast. Um, you can email us at layfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Like, you, you leave us reviews and stuff on iTunes um, and Spotify. Like, follow us on Spotify. So, yeah. Happy Halloween, everyone. Yeah.